Amen. Lord, that's our desire tonight as we come before you, that, Lord, you would renew a right spirit within each and every one of us. Father, we've fallen short today. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace, for your infinite mercy. Now, Lord, no matter how far away we walk, it's only one step back. Lord, I pray right now as we go to your word that you'd be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. If you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one, so raise your hand. If you see someone without a Bible, man, you just give them one anyway. You don't have to raise your hand. All right. It's easier if you just raise your hand and you're not embarrassed. Turn your your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. I want to encourage you to read the second half of Ephesians chapter 1 for Sunday. We did verses 1 through 14 last week. We'll do the, the remaining part of the chapter this coming Sunday. Ephesus is a great book. Joshua, let me catch you up quickly. I'm a big believer in context. We need to understand what the Bible says, where we are in it, and, and helps us to, again, grasp the chapter itself. Those of you who just took the inductive Bible study class, one of the things we talked about is context. If you, take, if you have a text... Without, out of context, all you got left is a con, and it's so true. So Joshua, where is it in the Bible exactly? We've gone through, again, Genesis, God creating man in his own image, the flood, God's great judgment upon man, Exodus. They were in bondage in Egypt. God delivered them out of bondage, and yet while God had a greater plan for them at Mount Sinai when he delivered the law to them, which is where we see Levit- Levitical law being given to them, the book of Leviticus, We know that when they got to the place to enter the land of promise, that first generation was faithless. They listened to men instead of listening to God. And that 11-day journey turned into a 40-year death march, and they never entered in. That entire generation would pass away with the exception of two people, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua, for whom this book is named after. Now, we get into Numbers, and then in Deuteronomy now, after them wandering, Deuteronomy, is, is the word means second giving or second law, and Deuteronomy is a restating of the law to the next generation, getting them prepared, because the previous generation had failed. And now this next generation is about to enter in, they need to know what God has said, what God has taught, what God has done. Now we get to Joshua, and we've been talking about this typologically, that in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is a picture of New Testament principles. The reason God gave it to us is so that we can look at the Old Testament, you and I today, and still see some of these New Testament doctrines and principles that might be hard to understand. There's almost always an Old Testament story that clears it up. Well, Joshua is really a picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit about walking in a spirit-filled life. Exodus, salvation at Passover. The blood in the shape of a cross, angel of death, had no power over those who had the blood of the shape of a cross on their doorposts, on the lentil of their, again, their dwelling place. And then those who were delivered out of bondage, again, a picture of the world, a picture of sin, were now headed to the land of promise. And when, before they got out, though, before they received the law, they went into water baptism. The Red Sea. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul equates the Red Sea to water baptism. So now they've been, quote, baptized, an outward statement of an inward change, they've been delivered out of bondage, and now at Mount Sinai they receive the law. Now they have the law, a guideline, a direction. And with the law came the feast and the sacrificial system that showed them that with sin there must be the shedding of blood for the forgiveness or remission of sin. And so now they're headed to the land of promise. We know now that faithlessly they disobey God and they're not allowed to enter in. Now we have that entire generation pass away. Joshua comes along and now they're encamped on the Jordan. The Jordan being a picture of, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not the water baptism of the Red Sea, but the baptism of the Spirit. And then entering into all that God has for them. Now, in the first three chapters, what we've looked at so far in Joshua, we first saw being responding to God's call. We saw how God had a call on Joshua's life, and Joshua responded. He was a faithful man who delivered the word of God to his people. Then in Joshua 2, we saw the incredible faith of one woman, a woman by the name of Rahab. Very good. Now, Rahab was a prostitute, 
And I love the fact that God took a godless woman and used her in a mighty and a powerful way. And that should be encouragement to every single one of us. That God can use every one of us, no matter what your background, no matter what struggles you've had. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And we went from the faith of an individual woman, who, remember, was told to hold the red cord out her window, put the red cord out her window. The prostitutes would paint their you know, their window panes red, and so when it hung out, their windowsill was hung red, you saw the cross, and she lived on the wall of Jericho, so here's the cross on the wall of Jericho, hundreds of years before Jesus even came. You've got to love the Bible. Now, because she had the cross, we know that she would be delivered. Now, we get to chapter 3, and we move from the faith of an individual to the faith of a nation. We move from the faith of a Gentile woman to the faith of the Jewish people, the children of Israel. Now they are called to not make the same mistake as the previous generation. But as you recall from last week, before they entered in, they had to step out in faith. And that was the title of the message last week. We saw words of faith and then the walk of faith. The first thing that happened when they were given instructions for a more faithful walk. If you weren't here, I encourage you to get the tape. But real quickly, the things, the instructions we saw were to begin your day with the Lord. That's what Joshua did. To pursue God's presence to have reverence and godly fear, to separate yourself from the world, to trust God's word and share it with others, and then to humble yourself. And then with all of that being done, the last few verses, he told them, now I want you to step out. Guys, it's not enough for us to study our Bibles if it doesn't impact the way we live our lives. Amen? We can study and be theologically and have all this kind of knowledge in our head, but it better change our walk. And I've met a lot of people that know a lot of the Bible and they're arrogant about how much of the Bible they know, but they don't have any joy and they don't have any love and they're not, you know, don't have a burden for the lost. They just walk around in their arrogance. That is not God's plan for us. He gave us his word to, again, encourage us and exhort us and build us up in the most holy faith that we might step out. And so last week, remember what he told them, your feet are going to have to get wet before you get to see the river part. You're going to have to step out in faith. But the river's rushing. The Jordan was rushing by, going at a great rate. Again, two and a half to three million people sitting on the side of the Jordan River. It was flood season. Think that was by chance? Of course not. God wanted to teach them something. And they sat there for three days, no doubt wondering, how in the world are we going to get across? And then God came up with a plan that nobody would ever have come up with. Here's what I want you to do. Carry the ark and just step into the water. Now remember that the ark was, a, again, a picture of the presence of Almighty God. The mercy seat where the blood was sprinkled within the, the ark. You had three implements all pointing to Christ. The jar of manna, Jesus is the bread of life, right? The rod of Aaron, he's our great high priest. The Ten Commandments, he is the word. And so they have all those things with the mercy seat upon him. And if you touch the ark, you would die. So they had to carry it with poles. Only the priest could carry it. And then he goes to the priest. It's not, he didn't go to the engineers and say, let's build a bridge. He went to the godly people and said, you know what? Step in. That's what God wants us to do. Step in. Well, we know what happened. They stepped in. And when they stepped in, what happened to the water? It parted. It stopped. And three million people walked across. And praise God for these priests who stood there. Can you imagine how long that must have been for three million people to walk across, carrying all their stuff? You think moving day is bad at your house. I've helped people move. I've helped people like five people move their household full of furniture. It takes like all day right? Imagine three million people, and these priests were faithful. We're going to pick up this week now, and we're going to move on to look at something else that should be an active part of a spirit-filled life. As we move into this land of promise and into all that God has for us, we've responded to his call. We've, again, responded in faith like Rahab. We've got to the point where we put feet to our faith, and we're stepping out as the priests did. Well, in tonight's chapter, we're going to see that God has a desire that not only we respond and turn from our old life and step out in faith, but God has a desire that we pass our, face on, pass our faith on to those around us. Most specifically, to the next generation. You know what? The next generation needs Jesus. Amen? But I'll tell you what. I don't think we need a next generation service. I think we just need this generation to be bold about our faith. I don't think we need to try to cater things and draw and attract a crowd. We just need to be so on fire for Jesus that, you know, as Pastor Ken says, you don't have to advertise a fire, right? 
You know, if a fire's going, then people are going to show up. If God's doing a work, then people are going to be drawn. And it's not going to be a gimmick, it's going to be the Holy Spirit that brings them. Amen? Now, we get to this chapter tonight, and we're going to look at how God has called us to be diligent to pass our faith on to the next generation. We're going to have five points in the text tonight. Number one, the command to build a memorial. And then I put it in my wife's terms, to make a memory. Any of you guys talk about making memories with your kids? My wife loves that term. We'll talk about that. To be obedient to God's command, to obey, that obedience produces blessings and godly fear. Fourth, we're going to see that as we obey, we will witness God's mighty hand. When we walk in obedience, we're going to see God do great stuff. And then lastly, passing on our faith to the next generation. So the command to build a memorial, obedience to God's command, Obedience produces blessings and godly fear. When we obey, we witness God's mighty hand. And then lastly, passing on our faith to the next generation. So the title of the message is Passing on Our Faith to the Next Generation. Let's begin in verse 1, looking at the command to build a memorial. Verse 1. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying... So all two to three million people have gotten to the other side. This has been 40 years in the waiting. They've been talking about this. Nobody would have been more anxious probably than Joshua. He's one of the few that's old enough to have actually seen everybody die that died in the wilderness. He came through the Red Sea. He was delivered out of bondage in Egypt. And now we're about to head in. As I said, he's 95 years old. I often think Joshua was some young individual, but he wasn't. And here he is, and they finally get everybody across. And you would think, after all this time of waiting, what would be the first thing you would want to do if you finally got into the land of promise that everybody's been talking about for 40 years? Show me some of them bowling ball-sized grapes, right? I haven't eaten manna. Give me some food, right? Where's this flowing milk and honey? I'll take the milk or the honey. Just give me something other than manna, right? And you would think that they would be running to find, you know, this, again, this green, lush land, this place of, again, God's promise. We're finally arrived. And you know what God does? Look what it says here. They cross over. They finally get there. Must have thought it's finally time to move on. But you know what we're going to see here, and it's so true in the trials that we have in our life, that we're delivered, and once we're delivered, we stop being desperate for God. You know, when things are tough, we cry out, God, God, help, God, help, God, help, God, help. It's been said there's no such thing as a drowning atheist. I believe that's true. Some guy's out in the middle of the ocean, says he's an atheist, his whole life starts drowning. I bet he's yelling for God. Amen? And you know what? We are often the same way, and we're most desperate in times of the greatest difficulty, but when things start getting better, we stop being so desperate. Well, now they're on the other side. We've gone into the land. We're finally here. We don't have to be as desperate anymore, leaving God and all that, we said behind, all that we've learned behind. But look what the Lord says to Joshua. This is the Dave paraphrase. He says, not so fast. All right, you're on the other side? Wait a minute. Wait a minute? It's been 40 years we've been waiting. We're finally on this side. Lord, you know, you've already told us you're going to win the battle. We're only a few miles from Jericho. Let's go whoop up on those folks and get their stuff. And certainly that would have been at least a part of the people like, okay, we're finally here. But you know what? They get to the other side and God's going to tell them, at least momentarily, to wait. We're not done here. There's more I want you to learn. And there's something I want you to deliver to the next generation. Look what he says in verses 2 and 3. Take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them saying, take for yourselves... Twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. So take twelve men. Now, all of them have already got to the other side, right? That's what it says in verse 1. Three million people, roughly, on the other side already. And the Lord says, they're probably like, we're here! You know, like taking your kids to Disneyland, right? They've been driving all day. We're in the parking lot. I want to go, right? And I imagine that's how they were, and the Lord says, stop. Now, t- pick 12 guys, and I want them to go back into the river that you just came out of, and I want them to pick up 12 really big stones. 
Now, can you imagine if you get picked? We're finally over here. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Go back into the river that's being held up. Might have been some fear there. And I want you to pick up the biggest rock you can find. And I want you to carry it back out of here. And by the way, you're going to carry it eight miles tonight before you go to sleep. Lord, what a burden. Lord, what are you talking about? We're in the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey. No more rocks. No more manna, no more none of that. But here's what the Lord knew. The Lord knew that the land of promise was not a place of vacation, but a place of battle. And here's what I want to tell you. That the spirit-filled life is as great as it gets, but I want you to know that in the spirit-filled life, it's not a place of vacation, but the battle gets turned up as well. It absolutely gets turned Here's what happens, guys. The more on fire you are for God, the more of an impact you're having on eternity. And who do you think doesn't like that very much? The enemy can't stand it. And so I want to encourage you to know that when we go through difficulty and trials, that this is God really preparing us for what is next. There, where the challenges would only get bigger, but again, so would the blessings. This is also true, again, of that spirit-filled life. Greater, greater battles and bigger blessings. God, knowing what was before them, wanted them to build a, a monument or to make a memory. He wanted them to have a memory to set aside, something they could look back to later and remember the hand of Almighty God. Now, my wife's big into this making a memory thing. Like every year we go and cut down our own Christmas tree. And this sounds really fun. Until you go out and it's like foggy and cold and you drive up the hill and all the trees are picked over and, you're, you're, and nobody can pick the same tree. And, you know, we're making a memory. Okay, you know. We go up there, we find one, and we cut it, we drag it down, you get it home and it's lopsided and all that kind of stuff, right? But we're making a memory, and the fact is I remember them very clearly, all right? <laughs> but this is God's heart here, that they would make a memory and they would learn, they would remember what God had delivered them from. You know why we fail as much as we do? We forget about what God has done for us. We forget about how great God is. We forget about how faithful God is. We start to panic in the midst of our trials, forgetting all that God has already delivered us from, beginning with our sin. He's forgiven us. We're going to heaven. We're new creations in Christ. And then we're just totally panicking about a flat tire. Man, what am I going to do? You know, Can you imagine God? Look, I saved you. You're going to heaven. I've adopted you to my family, and you're worried about a flat tire. What's wrong with you? And you know what? So often we forget what God has done. And you know what? He knew. They're going to get into the land of promise. What's waiting for them there? Idolatry. Sexual immorality. All kinds of temptation. And the Lord says, you need to remember what you've been delivered from. You need to remember what I've done for you so that when the trials and difficulty come, that you keep your eyes on me. And you don't run back. And you don't run away from me. You don't forget about me. While we often are in a hurry, I want you to know that God never is. And they could have been going, but we're finally here. I want to go on Space Mountain. You know, I want to, we're here. I want to go before the lines get too long. Come on. And the Lord says, wait, get some big rocks out of the water. Go back into the river. Again, it's still parted. Go back in there and get some big rocks, and we're going to carry them. And we're going to make a memorial. We're going to make a memory. We're going to do something that's going to remind us of the mighty hand of God and what I've delivered you from. You know, there's some practical ways for you and I to do this very thing. Can I encourage you, if you don't do this right now, start a prayer journal. One of the greatest things, and you know what, I, I have to openly confess to you, I haven't done it for the last couple of years, I did it for years. And I'm going to start again. And you know what's great about it? You write down everything you're praying about. And then what I love about it is go back months later and highlight all the things that God's answered. And you know what happens? Your faith gets increased big time. Why? Because God answers every prayer. Sometimes he says no, but he answers every prayer. Amen? And what it does is it re-encourages and reinforces your faith. You've seen what God has done. You remember what God has done. And he's saying to them, I don't want you to just go through and forget about it tomorrow. I pulled the water open. What happened to the first generation? They forgot about the Red Sea. They got to the land of, oh man, there's no way we can fight the giants. He just opened up the water. He just wiped out the Egyptian army and you're afraid to go in. Why? Because you forgot about what God has done. May we not forget about what God has done. Amen? That's his point he's making here. 
God had another plan. You know what? I remember this happening to me. I was in Southern California. I'd been a youth pastor for 10 years, which in youth pastor years, is like 100. I'd go, to, I'd go to youth pastors' conferences, and everybody thought, oh, you must be like a guest speaker, senior pastor or something. I go, no, I'm a youth pastor. Really? How old are you? You know? What? Because youth pastors are all like 22, you know what I mean? Because they're the only ones with enough energy to put up with a teenager. Here I was, 35, I was still a youth pastor. And they said, wow, I mean, wow, that's incredible. Okay, well, okay, all right. And so I finally, again, by the grace of God, the will of God, my senior pastor, I came up here to plant a church in Fremont. I'm not going to go into all the details, but I got here, and the day I was meeting with Don McClure to go up to Fremont and plant a church, they announced on that Sunday morning, after I sold my house, quit my job, and moved up here, didn't quit my job, we got a transfer, that there was somebody else going to Fremont to start a church. They announced that on the Sunday I was supposed to have lunch with the people in Fremont. I'm like, okay, I guess that's not happening. And again, I'm at the other side of the Jordan. I'm finally out of the youth group. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Give them to somebody younger. And you know what? God said, not done with you yet. So i got a lot more I want to do with you. And you know what? I spent the next five years as the youth pastor at Calvary Chapel San Jose. And you know what? Praise God. It was great. It was a blessing. And you know what? God was doing all of that in preparation for Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. And too often we don't see it. We're running ahead of God and God says, I'm not done yet. And God's saying to the children of Israel, look, I want you to learn. I want you to remember. I don't want this to be a blip on the screen for you. I want you to put this into your heart so you can even tell it to the next generation. Verse 4. Now watch, God commanded him to do it. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man for every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. This is how I know these are heavy rocks. You don't carry light rocks on your shoulder. Right? This is... oh. And guess where we're going? Gilgal. We're going to see it in a minute. Eight miles. Carry that rock, we're going eight miles. I thought this was a land of promise. Not the land of burden, right? Not the land of stowing rocks around. I didn't know I was going to a quarry. I thought I was going to a land flowing with milk and honey. What is this all about? Well, God had a plan. And the physical perspective was here they were heading back into the danger of the river. Here they were taking a hold of a burden that they were going to carry for eight miles. But what we're going to see what they see as a burden is often an opportunity for God to do a great work, to make a memory of His faithfulness and to pass it on to the next generation. These heavy stones are not an undue burden, but an opportunity for the blessing of God, to remember what God had done, to build their faith, and again, that of future generations. Look at verse 6 and 7. This was that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? So why are we getting these rocks? Here's the answer. Why in the world do we have to go back over there? We just passed through. Why do we have to go back in there and get rocks and carry them? Here's why. Verse 6. That these may be a sign among you when your children ask in time coming, what do these stones mean to you? Now this is exactly what a memorial is. I just went back to Washington, D.C., I don't know, six, eight months ago for the first time. And you go to the Lincoln Memorial. And you know what? When you're at the Lincoln Memorial and they got scripture all over the wall, praise God, it makes you think about things that you've forgotten about. They have the Vietnam Memorial. You go to the Vietnam Memorial, it's pretty powerful. And it makes you think about things you may have forgotten about. That's what they were doing. They were going to build a memorial that was going to make them remember something they may have easily forgotten about. And God's heart is that you and I would not quickly forget what the Lord has done. These stones were to be set up and become a teaching tool for future generations. A memorial to God's faithfulness in bringing the people into the land of promise and to the miracle of parting the Jordan. It says this in Deuteronomy chapter 11. You shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. And bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall teach them to your children, 
speaking to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, and you shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. You know what? God has called us to be diligent and passing his word on to the next generation. Can I encourage you with something? Raising godly kids is not, raising your kids to be godly is not my job, the youth pastor's job, or the children's ministry's job. That's your job. Did you know that? Now, we should be gravy. Amen? We should be adding to what's happening at home. And it says, when does it say you should be teaching your kids Deuteronomy? When you lie down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way, when you sit down. Wherever you go, it should be an opportunity for you to be the one pouring your life into your kids, pouring the truth into your kids, having memorials that they can remember the works and the acts of God. Can I encourage you? Get stuff that's got scripture on it and put it on the walls of your house. I'm not kidding. Do it. We got all kinds of stuff on our walls. You know, we, are, we have a theme verse in our family that's probably the theme verse of half of the Christians in America. And it's Joshua 24, 15. It says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You call my house and you get my answering machine. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you know what? My kids have had that ingrained in them since the day they were born. And you know what? It's so important that we keep it up because they go to school during the day and they hang out with their friends and they go, you know, watch whatever they see on TV or movies they see or whatever they're seeing and they're being influenced with everything else under the sun. And they need to be influenced by us, the truth of God and His Word. And you might be sitting there saying, well, I don't have kids. Well, minister to the younger people in the church anyway. Minister to your neighbors, your nieces, your nephews. Well, my kids are all grown. They're not too old to hear it from you. Amen? Hey, my dad is in his 70s. I'm 42 years old, and my dad still ministers to me. I talk to my dad on the phone two or three times a week. Most of you guys know he's a pastor in San Jose. And you know what? It's such a blessing, because my dad is still ministering to his son. And praise God, it's to the point where I get to minister back to him as well. But God has called us to pass that faith on to the next generation, to make a memory where our family can even look back and see the hand of God. You know what? Last year, I took my entire family to Israel. I'm a pastor. I don't make a lot of money. But I have a 401k, you know, with retirement account. And I just felt like, man, this is so important to me. I'm going to take money out of my retirement account from my previous job and take my entire family to Israel. Why? I want to make a memory. I want them to remember. I want them to say, I've seen the tomb and Jesus isn't in it. I want them to say, you know what? I've been to Caesarea. I saw where Paul ministered. I've been on the Sea of Galilee. I've seen where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. I saw Calvary where my Savior was crucified. I know where Armageddon's going to take place. That's instilling in our children what's really important in life. Amen? And too often, oh, it's too expensive to do this or that. You know what? Sometimes it could be, but I'll tell you what. There's other things we can let go and put an emphasis on making memories that will impact them for eternity. Amen? And it doesn't have to be huge. Go get a Christian video on creation. Sit down with your kids and watch it. All, you know, we got stuff in the lending library that's free. Just do it. Make a memory. Bring them back to what is really important in life. God's called us to do it. So the first thing we need to do in passing on our faith to the next generation is to command, their command to build a memorial. Make a memory. Put something in place that will draw them back. And he says there in verse 7, Then you shall answer them. So when they say, what do these rocks mean? Then he gives them the answer. I love the Bible. It's the answer book. He didn't just say, talk to your kids. He says, here's what I want you to tell them. When they come and say, what do these stones mean? Verse 7. Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. And the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Every time somebody saw these stones, they were going to re be reminded of this story. Now remember, they were not carrying Bibles around like you and I are today. So there needed to be visual things they could see. Something that every time someone passed by, they'd say, the children would say, Mom, Dad, what's that big tower right there? Why do we have that? Let me tell you the story, son. You know what I thought about? What would it be like if we had a 70-foot 75 foot tall cross in the middle of the Capitola Mall. Wouldn't that be awesome? But can you imagine everybody walking through the mall? What would the little kids say when they saw this huge cross in the middle of the mall? What is that? Why is that there? Let me tell you, son. And another reason why I love, again, we need to be careful that we don't worship the things that we set up. Amen? We only worship the Lord. But at the same time, 
I think it's good to have crosses and things like that. Just so our kids look and go, what is this about? What is the story behind this? What's the story behind this Christian t-shirt, whatever it might be? It's about Jesus. Let me tell you what it's about. Have something that points people to the Lord. The second thing that we're going to see here is obedience to God's command. Watch what we see in this desire to pass it on to the next generation. Verse 8. And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded and took up the twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Now I love this. Joshua told them to do it and they did it. Wouldn't you love to have kids like this? Joshua said, I want you to go get a big rock out of there. They could have said, what? Are you out of your mind? We just came through there. I'm not going back in there. Get somebody else, right? That's not what happened though. What they said was, okay, God said it, I'll do it. I don't even fully understand but I'm going to do it anyway. You know what? That needs to be our heart. We can learn from that example, can't we? We don't always understand, but God, I trust you. God, you're faithful. Though they probably didn't fully grasp what they've been called to do and the eight-mile trek that stood before them, they didn't try to alter God's plan, take less stones, smaller stones, carry them a shorter distance, didn't ask why, didn't ask what the point was. They simply obeyed in faith. And again, that's a great example for us to follow. Verse 9. Then Joshua, now look at this. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. Do we see God commanding Joshua to do this? What's the answer? No. But you know what? I love this. God's telling Joshua, I want you to build a memorial to what I've done here when you get to the place where you're going to settle. And I want everybody to see it. I want everybody to be reminded of it. And Joshua's heart was, you know what, Lord? I want to do it here. I want to do it here also. I'm going to do it in my home. I'm going to do it where we go to abide. But I also want to do it where it took place. And so what does he do? What seemingly makes no sense whatsoever is Joshua goes into the river and sets up 12 stones, one for each of the tribes, and it doesn't say whether they were up high enough to where we could even see them. Because the water's going to come back. They could have even been completely underwater. We don't know. But he set them up anyway because it was a commitment between him and God. And you know what? Sometimes the covenants that we make, nobody sees but us. Nobody else knows that we've made that commitment. Nobody else knows about the covenant but us and the Lord. And sometimes there's public things that we do, like baptism. Outward statement of an inward change. There's other things that are more private, like communion, where we take and we go to ourselves before Almighty God, and it's a covenant between us and Him. And I love this. Now, it could be that when the waters came down later, that the rocks were sticking out of the water. And that would have been a great testimony when people said, what are those rocks about? Well, let me tell you the story. What is, why is that there? Let me tell you why. You know, it's interesting, when I was a youth pastor for years, we made these bracelets. They were the corniest looking things you ever saw in your life. And they had beads on them. It was made out of leather and had beads on them. And everybody in the youth group wore them, and they were called, we called them truth bracelets. And I wore one with my suit and tie on sales calls. And I can tell you right now that 90% of the people that saw it would always ask the same thing. What's that? You just invited me to tell you. Let me tell you what it is. First bead, black. Oh, it's a truth bracelet. Here's the first beat. It's black. That represents the fact that we're all sinners and fallen short of the glory of God. Oh, I'm in trouble. Right here, the guy said, I didn't mean to ask that. <laughs> the red beat stands for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That through the shedding of blood, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever perish, whosoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The white beat stands for the fact that I've been made clean through his shed blood on the cross. The green bead is for growing in the Lord. Let me tell you how you can grow spiritually. And I start giving them the, the how you grow spiritually. And then the gold bead is for the promise of heaven to come. That's a truth bracelet. What do you think? And they go, oh, how much is my attitude? You know. <laughs> the point is, though, that everybody in the youth group wore them. And they wore them to school. And everybody that saw it said, what's that? Let me tell you. The rock sticking up out of the middle of the lake. 
of the river going by. What is that rock? Well, let me tell you what that rock is. Let me tell you what happened here. Let me remind you of the work of Almighty God. You know, we're living in a, a country today that's trying to do everything they can to shut God out. Take under God out of the Pledge of Allegiance. Let's get in God we trust off of our money. Let's get crosses down off everything. Take the Ten Commandments down. How can you have thou shalt not murder? That's infringing your right, you know, your beliefs upon me. I don't get that. Thou shalt not murder. That just bumps me out. Well, you want to have a freedom to do that? I don't understand. But the point is that we just don't, we want to live a sinful life without any condemnation, without any conviction. You know what? They can't shut up. They can take the crosses down. They can get in God we trust off our money. They can take under God out of the pledge, but they can't shut up the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And so important that we be more vocal. That we, hey, whatever it takes, Lord, get them to ask me the question. And I'll tell them, amen? Have the rock sticking up. Let's make a memory. And this is Joshua's heart. You know what? We're going to have a memorial there, but I want one here too. Because this is where God did it. And, and that's what we're going to do. And praise God for Joshua. And this is why he's the man that God called. So passing our faith on to the next generation. First, making a memory, the command to build a memorial. Second, obedience to God's word. When we obey, it ministers to our kids. By the way, your kids are going to learn more from you. It's more caught than taught. It's them watching you more than listening to you. It's not hey, you should be kind to your mom. If I'm not kind to their mom, everything I say means nothing to them. And it's more caught than taught. I need to live it out in front of them. Now let's see what happens when we obey. It produces both blessings and godly fear. Verse 10. So the priest who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua and the people hurried and crossed over. Now, I love that the priest stood there until everything was finished, and I have an idea this was all day. Now, the word there for hurry didn't mean they were running because they were afraid. It meant that they were moving freely. And that's a big deal when you got three million people crossing a river. That, God's hands got to be on that. Amen? You try to, I've been in, in India. You try to get on the bus. You know what I mean? There's eight people behind you, and your face is pressed against the glass. And I can't imagine three million people crossing the river, especially when they've been waiting for 40 years to get into the land of promise. It's a line for Space Mountain. Get out of my way, right? And instead, what happens is we see that they moved easily. Why? Because God was with them. And praise God for the priests. And you know what? Just to share a personal note to me, to you, that God spoke to me. I love here, it says, the priest stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded. To me, that's a word for pastors and people in ministry. To stand by the stuff and be faithful until everything God wants to do is done. And that's not going to happen until I'm dead. And I love that they, they stood there. They weren't worried about when they got over. They weren't worried about themselves. They were worried about ministering to the people. And that's what ministry is really all about. So that, I believe it's an exhortation to pastors to stand firm. And it's an encouragement Again, that the visible token of God's presence remained there. So when the people were walking through, you know what blessed them the most, no doubt, was seeing the ark in the middle. They walked through, the ark's here. God's with us. You know what? The water's mounted up on both sides, but God's with us, so I'm not worried. And guys, if we'll remember who's with us, we will not be worried. If God is for me, who can be against me? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? Then it says there, verse 11, Then it came to pass, when all the people had completely passed over, that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. The ark was the first to move and the last to leave, and the people now having been delivered into the land of promise, again, no doubt in all of all that God had done, are now watching the ark come out after them. God's, you know, I, I can't imagine that there wouldn't be a worship time right there. Amen? Imagine you've been waiting for 40 years and the ark opens up and, and you know, the water opens up, the ark goes before you, you get to the other side and here comes the ark. Man, how can you not praise God in that circumstance? Now I love this because, uh, again, the ark moved first and that's the way it ought to be because the ark was a representation of God's presence. We don't move first, God moves first, we follow Him. We don't get ahead of God and then tell Him to bless it. Lord, I'm running in this direction, run with me. 
Lord, I got a plan, and I'm going to fill you in on it. Just come, all right? I'll tell you when we get there. No, we pray, we wait, we seek the Lord, we follow Him. Amen? We don't drag Him behind us. I want God in front of me. How about you? you Lord, I'll just stand right here behind you. It's good for me. I'm good. You just go ahead. I'll just be right here, right? And that's how the ark was leading them, praise God. Verse 12 and 13. And the men of Reuben and the men of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel and Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. If you guys don't remember this, these are the two and a half tribes that were satisfied camping outside of the promised land. You guys remember that? It was in Deuteronomy, it was in Numbers. What happened was they just said, you know what, right here we've already won the battle. Why should we go over the Jordan and fight the enemies over there? It's good enough just staying out here. But I want you to notice something. They missed out on God's highest. They were in God's permissive will, not His perfect will. There's a permissive will. You know, God will allow you to do things. That doesn't mean it's His perfect will. Amen? God's perfect will was they enter into the land of promise, that they have all that God has for them. His permissive will was, oh, whoops, I'll let you stay over here. See what happens when you got Italian in your blood? You just start waving your hands all the time. And so he said to them, and now I'm in the Jordan River. <laughs> Went for depart. All right. And so he said to them there, again, clearly that, look, that's God's plan. Let us go through. But their heart was, again, to stay back and say, you know what, it's easier to be here. The, the, the enemy's already been defeated here. Why should we continue to fight? Why should we continue to battle? We can just stay here. But here's what you'll notice, is it still said they had to go into the battle. Here's the point, you guys. If you stay outside of God's highest, you still have to fight the battles. You don't go into everything God has for you doesn't mean you're going to get off scot-free and you're not going to have any trials and difficulty. You're just going to have trials and difficulty and be outside of God's will all at the same time. And that's what happened to these two and a half tribes. Verse 14. And it says there, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. So the Lord exalted Joshua. Thanks, guys. Servant's art. All right. It says that the Lord exalted Joshua. Now back in chapter 3, verse 7, he said... This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they might know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So who exalted Joshua? What's the answer? God did. Man didn't exalt him, and Joshua did not exalt himself. God chose Joshua, and because of his obedience, and because he listened to the word of God, he again was used mightily by the Lord, and he exalted him. Joshua exalted as God parted the water, as he said that he would. It says there in verse 15, Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priest to bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. And Joshua commanded, therefore commanded the priest, saying, Come up from the Jordan. Now, here's the interesting part. The reason these guys obeyed, why, did, why were they so easily listening to the words of Joshua? Because God's hand was upon him. But why was God's hand upon him? Because he walked in obedience to the Lord. Joshua was a faithful man in a land where there were no faithful men. How many, how many people entered into the land? Two. Out of that entire generation. And Joshua was one of them. And the Bible says, as you've heard me quote many times, that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of, one his heart is loyal to him. And Joshua was that man. And so because Joshua was obedient, God raised him up. And because God had raised him up, now Joshua could speak with authority. You know what? If we will walk in obedience to the Lord, God will allow us and speak through us to a world that so desperately needs to hear him. You know what, guys? One of the things that I think turns off more people to Christianity than anything else is Christians. Is that true? And what happens is somebody proclaims to be a Christian, and now they start you know, hey man, Lord this and Lord that. At the same time, they've been stabbing you in your back and talking trash and they're not working hard and they're doing this and they're doing that. And you look up and you go, man, I, why would I want to know your God? But here's Joshua, who's the guy that's being faithful, the guy that's being obedient, the guy that's got a servant's heart, the guy that went into the land and came back with a good report. And now he goes, he says, hey, 
I'm going to honor God. And he builds the memorial. And now he listens to the Lord. And now when he exalts the people, because God has lifted them up, they say, that's the voice of the Lord. That's not Joshua. That's God speaking. And you know what? If we will submit ourselves to God, God will speak through us in just as powerful a way. Now what he does say there, one thing I want you to notice in verse 16. It says, he commanded the priest to bear the ark of the what? The testimony. It's the first time in the Bible you see the ark of the covenant called the ark of the testimony. Just real quickly, the word testimony there means witness. Because God's word is both a promise to us, and it's also a witness against us if we reject it. Amen? It's a witness showing us God's will, but it's also something that at the same time is a witness against us if we're outside of his will. So Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. Now I love this, because Joshua is telling them to come up from the Jordan. When I read that, come up from the Jordan, what picture do you think might have popped into my mind? Jesus getting baptized. Very good. Jesus was baptized where? Jordan River. The priests were coming up out of the river. Who's the great high priest? Jesus Christ. And when he was baptized, it was the beginning of his public ministry, as it's the beginning of them entering into the land flowing with milk and honey. It was at that time that the Holy Spirit came upon him, and the Jordan River is a picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, come up from the Jordan. And again, I believe a picture of the resurrection, because we know that him coming out of the water is a picture of his resurrection from the dead. Verse 18. And it came to pass, when the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. You know what? When God does a miracle, he doesn't do it halfway. And if the water had just stopped, and everybody walked through, and they went out, and the water was still stopped, they could have said, oh, it was, you know, the water got diverted somehow. There was some natural phenomenon. and something blocked the river. No, what happened was he opened it up until they got to the other side. When they put their feet in wet, it parted. And when they put their feet on dry ground, all the water came back. Why was that? It was a testimony to the children of Israel that God is in control. Isn't that something you should make a memory to? Build a monument to? Be able to look back on it and say, you know what? God's in control. We put, the priest put his foot in, the water parted. When the priest put his foot out, the water came back. You know what? Our God's in control. Do you think they're going to need to know that God's in control when they get into the land of promise? What's the first city they're going to run into? Jericho. In a few weeks, we're going to see that he commands them to do something that, from military perspective, is stupid. Here's an idea. There's a huge fortress. March around it. What are you talking about? You know what? Blow trumpets and march around it. What else? That's it. You've got to be out of your mind. Now, do you think he might have remembered the river? Think back to the Jordan. He told us to put our feet in, and what happened? The water parted. When we got to the other side, what happened? The water closed in. Remember the monument in Gilgal, just a mile from here. The place we came from, a monument to the fact that God can do anything. Guess what? He can do anything in Jericho too. Guys, that's why it's so important that when God does great and awesome things that we teach our children, that we remind them of his ways, that we point them back to the God that we serve. And the priest again, as soon as they came out, then the water dried up, or the water restored. And notice that it was flowing on, on the banks, overflowing the banks like it was before. Because again, it was a time of flooding. It was a time that the water was running fast. Last point. Passing our faith on to the next generation. Verse 19. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. Now, so they came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal. Gilgal was about eight miles from the Jordan, about a mile and a half or less from Jericho. And they encamped in this place on the tenth day of the first month. Do you think when they put a date in the Bible, there might be a reason for that? What's the answer? Of course. If it's in the Bible, it's in there for a reason always. Amen? Now, the tenth day of the first month, 40 years earlier on that exact day, something happened. 
It was four days before Passover, and it was the day that, they, that Moses commanded them all to go get a lamb and bring the lamb into their house. And they brought the little lamb into their house. They inspected that lamb for four days, make sure it was healthy. And then at the end of those four days, they had to kill that lamb that now had become a part of their family in a sense. You have a little lamb in your house for four days and you pet that animal. Again, and there's a reason for that. Make us realize that sin comes with a great price. And somebody had to die and this poor lamb was killed. And then that blood of the lamb had to be put in the shape of the cross so the angel of death would pass over. Forty years earlier to the day that they arrived in Gilgal, this is what happened. Four days later was Passover when the blood of the lamb was sprinkled. The word Gilgal means rolling or rolling away or rolling off. And it's interesting that they rolled out or rolled away or were delivered from Egypt at this very time. This became an important part of the nation. Many things happened in Gilgal. How many of you ever heard of Gilgal before? Let me tell you why you've heard of it. Israel crowned their first king there. What was his name? Saul. Big mistake. David was welcomed back there after Absalom's rebellion. There was a school of prophets at Gilgal in the days of Elijah and Joshua, and it became Joshua's center for operations. Now look what it says in verse 20. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. So they take these twelve stones, I don't know how big they were, but they were big enough to where somebody had to carry them on top of their shoulders. Each of the twelve tribes representing that all of them had been touched by this. That each, there'd be one person from every tribe that could go back and talk about the fact that he was the one who had brought the stones out. That he would be able to minister to the people of his tribe. Then they brought it and they set up this monument in Gilgal again as a constant reminder of what God had done in bringing them out of the Jordan. We need reminders because we so quickly forget. Many places in scripture where God's people are led to set up memorials to help them remember things. You know who built altars? Noah, Abraham built four, Jacob, Moses built at least three, Aaron, and Joshua. What about all the feasts? Why do they have these feasts? Because God wanted to make sure they ate? No, they had feasts because God wanted them to remember the Feast of Tabernacles wandering in the wilderness. He wanted them to remember each, you know, the Feast of Passover. He wanted them to remember each of those things so they would look back and not forget what God had done. Today, you and I have things that should cause us to look back and cause us to look up, whether it be communion or baptism or the celebration of Christmas. By the way, is there a greater time when you can share your faith than Christmas and Resurrection Sunday, Easter? Can I encourage it? Don't tell anybody Merry Xmas. It's Jesus' birthday. Amen? Happy birthday, Jesus. Every year at my house, we have a cake and we sing Happy Birthday, Jesus, before we open any presents. Amen? And my kids only get three gifts because if Jesus only got three on his birthday, they're not getting any more than him. <laughs> it's a fact. And so here's the thing. The greatest reminder of, of all, along with Good Friday and Christmas and Easter, and you'd be amazed. I remember sitting in class in high school, and this girl was sitting next to me, we're, and we we're getting ready to go for Easter vacation, and, I, and she said something about Easter, and what is Easter, she said to me. What is Easter? She said, yeah, what is it? I mean... Where did this whole bunny thing come from? And I said, no, really, you know what Easter is? No, I don't. And she had no clue that it was Resurrection Sunday. You know whose fault that is? Ours. We can't expect the world to educate the world. We need to, amen? And I want to encourage us. Christmas is coming soon. And you know, and these are opportunities to remind people of what Christ has done. But you know what the greatest reminder of all is for you and I today? It's in your hand. They didn't have this back then. We do. You want to remember everything God's ever done? that's written down, it's right here, amen? And we can go through here. Why do we need to read our Bible? To remember what God has done. To remind it, to be exhorted, to be encouraged, to be strengthened in our faith. Your, your, faith comes by hearing and hearing by word of God. You want to grow in your faith? People say to me, Pastor Dave, I want to have faith like you do. I say, great, read this. It's not a mystery. Read your Bible. And it's, and it's interesting, I looked this up. Much of, a t of what a pastor does in teaching and in counseling is remind people what they already know. 
He's telling them, remind them, remind them, remind them. Let it be a reminder to them. Build this monument so they will remember. In 2 Timothy, one of the pastoral epistles, it says, for this reason, I remind you. Later on, he says, remember, to re it says, remind them of these things. In 2 Peter, it says, therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you. In Jude 5, he says, now I desire to remind you. So why is it that Pastor Dave gets up here every time and restates everything that happened in the book before this chapter? Because God told me to remind you. Amen? To bring it. And people, some people get frustrated. Well, why do you do that? I said, okay, well, what was the message about last Sunday? Um, what was the title of it? Uh, what was the central point? It was Ephesians 1. I'm trying to, right? And the point is, that's why I remind you. Because you forgot. Amen? And the Word of God tells us, remind them. So what was the purpose of the stones? Here's the last thing. He says, then he spoke, verse 21, to the children of Israel, saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before before you until you crossed over as the Lord your God did in the Red Sea when he dried up before us until we crossed over. You know what? When your children asked, let me ask you a question. Do your children ask a lot of questions? God gave them inquisitive minds for a reason. I have one son, my youngest son, Mark. He, I'm not kidding you, he'll ask me 50 questions on a car ride sometimes. What about this? What do you think about this? Dad? What if this happened? What if this happened? What about that? And sometimes it gives me a headache. But then I realized, you know what, Lord? You've given him that mind for a reason, and this is an opportunity for me to take him back to what you've done. When you sit, when you walk by the way, when you lie in the house, wherever you are, here's an opportunity. And God's given him that inquisitive mind. And it says there, dads, look at that verse. When your children ask their who? Their fathers. God has called you guys to be the spiritual leader in your home. That doesn't mean your wife doesn't have spiritual oversight of your children, because she certainly does. But I want to say this, it starts with us. If your house is not where it needs to be spiritually, look in the mirror, Dad, because it starts with you. That's rough work. People come for counseling, they'll say, my wife is my... How much prayer time do you have with your family? Well, we don't really pray. That's your fault. Oh, but uh, No, it's your fault. It starts with you, Dad. Amen? That's a hard word, huh? That hurt. Ow. Right? But it's the truth that he says when you ask your fathers, then what should Dad do? Son, let me tell you. Not ask the pastor, it doesn't say. It doesn't say ask the youth pastor or the youth worker. It says ask your dad. The number one place we ought to be ministered to. Fathers are called to be the spiritual leaders, and we ought to take every opportunity we can to, again, point our children to Christ. And then last verse, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You know what, guys? As we pass on the truth to the next generation, we're not going to just impact our kids, but we're going to impact the world around us. There's only two offensive weapons in the Bible. One of them is the sword, right? The sword is a representation of God's word. We get to Ephesians 6 and we talk about the whole armor of God. But there's one more offensive weapon. The Bible says, blessed is the man whose quiver is full. And our children are arrows that we shoot into the future. And they are the offensive weapon that can impact if God tarries 20 and 30 years from now. So the word of God is a sword in our hand today, but the way we impact the next generation is impacting our kids, who when they get on fire for God, they become contagious and touch people that we won't be around for if the Lord tarries. God's desire and God's plan is that we pass it on to the next generation, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. When we pass on the truth of God's word, it impacts not only the generation, but it impacts the world around us. We're raising them to fear God, to have awe and reverence for Him. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of what? Wisdom. You want your kids to be wise? They need to fear God. And if they don't fear God, it's got to begin with us. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So in conclusion, as we remember what God has done, what has God done? He's delivered us from sin. He's provided for us. He's protected us. He's done the supernatural in everybody's life in this room. He's done the supernatural in everybody's life in this room. 
The first thing he did was he saved you, and that's the greatest miracle of all. And I guarantee if we had time, we'd go around the room and we could talk about people who've been healed, whose lives have been transformed, who God's done supernatural stuff. And you know what? Those ought to be a testimony, not just for us, but to our children, to our families, and to the entire body of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we just praise you, Lord, for your love and your grace. Father, help us to learn from this example in tonight's text, Lord, to build that memorial to what you have done, to not forget what you've delivered us from, not forget the seas that you've parted before us, not forget the illnesses that you've overcome in our lives, not forget the miraculous works you've done in our children, in our marriages, Father, in our finances, all those areas, Lord, may they all be a testimony to your glory. Father, I pray that you would help us to pass on what you have given us to the next generation. Lord, may we be diligent to share with our kids as we sit at home, as we walk by the way, as we drive in our cars. Lord, bring divine appointments. May we take their inquisitiveness and use it as an opportunity. Father, I pray the same for our co-workers. Bring divine appointments, Lord. Give us an opportunity to stand up for you when the world wants to walk away from you. Lord, we love you. We praise you and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.